name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Today is the fifth Sunday of Miss of Epib. So on the fifth Sunday we read again the readings of the the five loaves and the two fish, which we read many times during the year, so it gets very hard to be creative <laughs> with meditations for someone who's not deep like myself. So I wanted to look at one particular line in the gospel to discuss. We know we know this story very well, as we said we read it a lot, but the very end it says, and they did eat and all were satisfied. Right? One of the translations says we're, we're filled, but the, the full translation, the true ex- um, interpretation is they were satisfied. They had what su- was sufficient for them. And that's not what we would usually expect. We didn't exactly have fine dining. It was a very simple meal, right? It was a bit of bread and a little bit of, of, of fish. And the people probably didn't expect to eat. Um, so it was probably a happy surprise for them because I don't think that they reasonably thought that with 5,000 men, right, and that's just the men, not their spouses and their, and their kids, so we could have had anywhere from eight to 10,000 people going on there, maybe even more. So I don't think any of them thought they were going to eat, right? If they, if they did, they probably thought it was going to be their own food that they needed to take care of. And they were content sitting on the floor, right? They were not at a restaurant. They weren't at a, a fine dining place. They were, they were literally sitting on the floor of a mountain, right? So there's probably ants. There's probably stuff around them, but they weren't whining or complaining about the atmosphere that they were in. And to add insult to injury, it was after hearing a really long sermon, right? If you look at Matthew 5 through 7, this thing happened at the end of a really long day, right? A long day for everybody, for the apostles, because they had been doing work and came back, and they thought it was going to be a retreat for them. And then the people walked all the way up to the top of the mountain, um, that you would think that they were exhausted at this point, which for most people would have meant being very restless um, because of all that's gone on. But for them, they were content. And so we too, if we are with him, ought to be content, and content not just with food, but with many things. And so look at the readings of both today as well as the readings from um, two weeks ago when Ambakurlis was here, because we did both of them were, were about that. So, the reading that had come two weeks ago, associated with this reading, is it says that when Jesus noticed how people chose the best seats, he told the guests a parable, right? So he's noticing that the people wanted more. So the whole theme here is contentment, right? Are you satisfied with where you are, or do you want more than where you are? So when he noticed that they wanted the best seats, he told the guests a parable saying, when you're invited by anyone to a marriage feast... Do not sit in the best seat. It could be that someone more honorable than you comes, and then you are asked to go to the lesser seat, and the other person is put to sit there, to make room for this person. Then with shame, you would proceed to take the lowest place. Instead, when you are invited, go to the lowest places. So he's saying, when invited to a feast, don't seek to sit in the best place that someone invite you, which for us can be translated in many ways. Are you content with your status 
Or do you need to seek fame? Are you somebody who seeks fame? Are you somebody who seeks prestige? Right? Are you somebody who seeks to have a certain image? Because if you are, it means you aren't content right, with who you are. Instead, you want to be built up and to look um, in a certain way. Instead, what Christ is saying, let your light shine before men. Let the honor come naturally. Right? If you are simply who you are, everything is going to happen in a very natural way. The people didn't expect to eat, but they were fed. Right? It's not how they were expecting to eat, right? but yet God worked. Right? God did feed them. They didn't think that it was going to happen, but God was able to work above their expectations. So if you try and build a status, you're going to always fear losing it when you get there. Right? If you make it to the place that you want, then you're going to be worried about maintaining it. And so then you're going to always have this worry about what am I going to look like if I were then to do this, that, or the other thing. And so you're never going to stop seeking it. But Christ promises whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Right? He, he works opposite of our expectations. The apostles were fishermen and nobodies. Today they're <laughs> illustrious. Right? Today we see them as the most prestigious. Right? We boast that we are apostolic churches. Right? So these people who never expected to have any kind of, of fame are still famous right until this day we're still talking about them until this day we're naming our kids after them we're naming our churches after them right we take pride in being from them this was not what they planned it was not what they sought it wasn't what they ever thought was going to happen so we need to be content with our status mother teresa was a some random girl right from a random city in europe who nobody in our generation doesn't know who she is Right? She's remembered now by the whole world, even whether people are, are Catholic or not Catholic, or whether they're even Christian or not. Everybody knows right, who Mother Teresa is. The Lord can exalt those of low degree. And then it says, Jesus also said to the one who had invited him, when you make a dinner or a supper, do not call your friends, brothers, kinmen, or rich people. Um, or rich neighbors because they might return the favor and pay you back. Instead, when you give a feast, ask the poor, the maimed, the lame, or the blind to come. Then you will be blessed because they do not have the means to pay you back. So he's saying, be content to give and not have the favor returned. Right? So be content even just in the act of giving. Right? Don't ask for more than that. Don't, don't seek to have more than that. Be content to give and to give freely. Don't worry about your return on investment. And don't worry about having your stuff, right, or your wealth replaced. He's saying don't just give to people who will make you feel or look good. Because that means that you are not satisfied with how you look or feel right now. Right? It means that you're doing this to fill your need to feel needed. Or your desire to be wanted. Or your feeling of wanting praise. This is not pure, right? He's saying that that means that you're not content with giving for the sake of giving. You're only content with the idea if it means you being built up in some way or somehow. If the objective is really to have a feast in this parable that he gives, rather than to increase in prestige or social networking, right? Then if you really want to have a feast, ask the poor, the maimed, the lame, or the blind, those who have no way 
of repaying you. Those are the people you should have asked if really your objective is just to have a feast. And those who least expect it. They will not pay you back, but the Lord will repay you in the resurrection of the righteous. In other words, your reward is supposed to be in Christ. Your food is in Christ like the multitude, right? They, they receive their food in Christ. When you have a priest or a bishop visit you, invite people, right? Don't let the honor and blessing only be to yourself. Many people, when they receive, especially the bishop back when, in, in, when we were growing up, some people would make it very hush-hush, right? It was only for, like, their special circle, right? They wanted to have this special thing. Maybe if, if the bishop doesn't like to have many people, okay, right? But if the idea is that there's a blessing, why not open your home, right? Why not say that this blessing isn't mine alone, that everybody come and benefit, right? That anyone that you know, especially that might not even have had access to have that person come. In the Pauline, we're taught to be content to be wrong or to be taught. St. Paul talked about, this was the, the one from the previous reading. If anyone teaches a different doctrine does not agree with sound doctrine, such a person is conceited, ignorant, obsessed with arguments, controversies, and disputes over words. These things result in envy, conflict, insults, evil suspicions, constant antagonism, right? This is all true. So he's saying be content and be willing to find out that you are wrong, right? This shouldn't be shocking to any of us. Unless we believe we're omniscient, we should never be shocked to discover that we may be wrong, right? And so if I'm content to know that I'm a human being like everybody else, right, and that I am capable of error, then I won't be upset to find out that I'm wrong. But being argumentative means that you are not content unless you are victorious in debate, right? Is that unless you are justified as being right, you're not able to rest. And we, we, we all know people like that, or we are those people, right? Where in the argument, we need it to end, even if I know I'm wrong, it needs to end somehow with, okay, but you are wrong too, right? It's never okay that the I was the only one with the error, it has to be someone with me. And if resolution only comes to you when you find that you are the right thinker, it means that you're not content or you cannot be at rest with just hearing the truth, right? That's not enough for you. Because if it was, there'd be no need to argue excessively. Dialogue is different from debate, right? A dialogue is where there's listening and an exchanging right of understanding. But an argument is somebody is, means there's contention. There's a desire for somebody to, to win the debate. And this can even be done in religion, right? We see it, we see it all the time. Are you pro-Pope Shenouda or are you pro-Abu Nametta? Are you anti this person? Are you anti that person? And we get into completely useless debates about these things. In the time of St. Paul, it was, are you pro-Paul or are you pro-Apollos? Right? So the, the debate's not a new one, right? Are you with Peter? Are you with Paul? Right? There was even that kind of division religiously, even from the time of Christ. So none of this is new, right? But we need to learn how to be content with just the truth, not about anything other than that. I remember an incident at a church in, here in California when I was very new to the diocese, and I went to a church and a youth was talking to me 
and another youth came and I think wanted to, to get close on one level, so he thought that the best way was to talk about really sophisticated um, theological things. So he busted out like the biggest terminology to show that he reads. This is a, a great kid, and I know that he loves God, but all sorts of sophistication to say as much as he could, right, so that I would be impressed. And I remember that there was somebody, the one who I was originally talking to, that just gave the funniest look and said, yeah, I don't understand any of that, I'm going to walk away. Right, and so his reaction wasn't to love God more. It wasn't to to be like, oh man, I wish that I knew that. But his reaction, because he was talking about in something maybe more practical, was a way of showing that this sophistication meant nothing. Right, like the sophistication that was for the sake of sophistication, right? Not for the sake of the love of God or for real knowledge that leads to the love of God, but for the sake of being sophisticated. Looked so little, right, by just like a small reaction from this other person. Instead, we must be content with the truth because if we're looking for the truth, things won't be contentious anymore, right? You won't be an argumentative person if you're, if you're obsessed with the truth because you're not going to be concerned about who said it, right? You're not going to be concerned about why they said it. You're going to be concerned about one thing, is it true, right? That's going to be what matters. Even heretics have said true things, right? We need to worry about the truth more than judging the persons or people involved. And then he goes on to say that godliness brings great gain if one is content, for we brought nothing into the world, and we certainly could not carry anything out. But if we have food and clothing, let us be content with that. Those who are determined to become rich fall into a temptation and a, sna and a snare with many senseless and harmful lusts, which plunge them into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And then in today's Catholic epistle, we hear the same message echoed, right? When we read, listen, you who are rich, weep and howl, for the miseries that are coming on you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are eaten by moths. Your gold and silver are rusted. Most of us are familiar with what excessive money can do to people. Not necessarily does do to people, but can do to people for those who are obsessed with their wealth, right? Because we're talking about not being content with where you're at. People lose friends, family, and religion over money. And people put objectives for what they want to earn. They're like, you know what, I just want to make this much. And then they want more. When I first started actually learning how to save, when I was still working, I did it because I had been a horrible spender. Right? I had been somebody who just did whatever I felt like. So I decided it was time to learn to save, and so I put in my mind a certain amount that I wanted to always have in my account. And this was working very well at first, and I would even argue it was, it was probably wise. But what I found is that I actually became very stingy, right? Then I went to the other extreme. I liked seeing the number grow. So I became less generous because I wanted to see that this number was growing because for the first time it was growing. Right? Usually I have the opposite problem and my dad would have to lecture me over and over and now 
I was a complete opposite. Now I was not spending on anything, didn't want to go out, didn't want to be with people, didn't want to buy gifts because I'm like, it's growing, why, why lose this? Um, maybe I would invite people to things more before that and now I was doing it less. And I even used to argue with my parents, I didn't want them to pay for certain things when I first started working. Now I really wanted them <laughs> to, to spend on certain things. Um, and I would joke with Dalali, who I'm like, to, to suck her up to them, um, just to get things. And for what? A bigger number. That's all it was, right? All it was is a bigger number um, in the account. What good is that big number, right? What, what is it going to do? All that you have is going to pass away. That's what the readings say. Everything you have is going to go, right? At some point or another, it's going to go. So be careful about trying to accumulate wealth. It's a disease, I think, of our generation, and it's an ugly one. Your wealth is not a sin, okay? Wealth is not a sin, nor is one's poverty. But the state of your heart and your attitude towards your wealth, those are what can become diseased. Those are the things that can be wrong that we have to watch out for. So if you are rich, don't live lavishly. Right? Be content with being normal. If your eyes are always going on going up a level, there will never be a stop to it, A. And B, it means external things are going to control you, right? Because it's like, oh, but I, I want to get that. I need that, right? And that, that is going to control you because you're going to work a certain amount for that. You're going to interact in a certain way for that because that's what you want. So it's actually become something that controls you. Make sure that your money is also going to God. To the poor, if you have poor relatives, if you know a struggling family, help them. If you are uneasy about sharing your wealth, it may mean that you are not content with being normal, but you want to have more. So really self-reflect on this, right? Am I, am I anxious about my money? Am I anxious if I spend it on a good cause, right? Or am I dressing up my concern about certain levels of security when that's not really um, the case. There's a famous story of a man named Eulogius um, who lived during the time of Abba Daniel of Shahid. So this is, I think, late 5th century. And he was a quarryman um, and he would hew rocks and he was very generous. And with the little money that he made, he took care of the poor. He was very hospitable. He'd open up his house to many people. Um, and St. Daniel of Shahid loved this man. Um, and he actually um, was so worked up about this man's financial situation that of all the things that Abba Daniel would pray for, like he was known more for his asceticism, he was praying for, for Eulogius to get rich. Um, and he was like, no, Haram, this poor guy, he makes no money and he's so nice. Um, and so he prayed fervently to God that God would make him rich. And he had, Abba Daniel had a revelation to him where God spoke to him and said, if I listen to your prayers, will you take responsibility for what happens to him? And so he said, yeah, absolutely, no problem. His salvation is in my hands. Because in his mind, this man is so virtuous, he cares for the poor, he's generous, what could go wrong? So Eulogius got rich. And Eulogius was a completely different Eulogius. Eulogius moved off to Constantinople or Rome where he could make big money 
He was filthy rich, started living lavishly, started living in a not very virtuous way, um, and really couldn't care less about the poor people that he used to care about. And so St. Daniel was devastated by this um, and went and reasoned with him and he was praying to God. Um, and so God was like, be careful what you wish for, right? You don't understand what things can do to people, right? And what, what benefit a person might get depending on their situation. And so Eulogius got poor again, poor Eulogius, but um, he went back to his former virtue and possibly even more. Actually, I think we, we have Eulogius in our Synexarium, if I'm not mistaken, as a saint of the church. Um, and, and he lived a very, very virtuous life. So don't, don't want more than where you're at. Be content um, financially. Um, and be content with the aim of our Christian life to be like everyone else. So St. Paul today talked about if all people prophesy, right, he's talking about the gifts that are within the church. He's saying, so if all prophesy and someone unbelieving or unlearned comes in, the person will learn from everyone. So prophecy doesn't just mean telling the future. Prophecy means interpretation of scripture, being able to discern um, right from wrong. Versus... Speaking in tongues is what he talked about. Whereas, like, if you're all speaking in tongues randomly and somebody comes in, what are they going to see? The context is that everybody wanted to speak in tongues, right, as their gift, because it was the most loud gift, right? It was the most impressive because it was different. So if you walked into a church and you're like, oh, what's your gift because the Holy Spirit is really working? And someone's like, yeah, I'm generous. They're like, oh, what's that guy doing? Because he was speaking in, in tongues. So it was a very exciting, thrilling gift to have. And so everybody wanted that. And people had different tongues, and they were yelling over one another. And so St. Paul says, do you know how crazy you sound? Right? Like, even, even though this is a gift of the Spirit, he's telling them, you, you all sound insane. Right? And he goes, imagine if somebody were to come in and just see everybody screaming. Right? He's like, they're not going to leave edified. They're going to they're gonna call you crazy. Right? And they're, and they're going to go. The point of the gift, he says... And he quotes a prophecy about speaking in tongues. He said the point of the gift was that it would be a clear supernatural sign for the unbelievers to know that something is going on. That's what it's for, right? So you're using it in this context among yourselves or just screaming and yelling isn't even the point of this gift. So he explains that they are speaking in tongues for unbelievers, but he says if someone walks in, and you're among yourselves showing off and yelling, the guests will think you're nuts. Instead, he says, seek prophecy, which means to understand, to be able to interpret scripture, so that people can come and believe. Right? He's saying, I would rather, if there was going to be one gift that you all had, I would rather that it would be prophecy. So be content with what gifts you have in church, and work for unity in the church, not independently. Right? Everybody wanted independently to have this gift and independently be seen as holy and righteous and a big deal. And he's saying that's wrong. Seek the message of the gospel and be harmonious with others in understanding rather than in trying to speak your tongue. Your tongue doesn't need to be louder than everyone else's. You don't need to explain why your gift or opinion or understanding is better than someone else's. 
and the insistence on your voice being heard causes confusion and chaos. Because when everyone does that, when everybody believes that he or she is the right one and of the right opinion and the sole interpreter and the other people just don't get it, right, and so they act in their own way, then all we're going to get is disunity and chaos because if everybody does that, we'll have as many opinions, maybe even more, than there are congregation members, right? There has to be a certain level of, of humility and acceptance of where we are. And then the outsider, when they come, yes, will also think we're crazy, right? Because they'll be like, you guys can't agree on anything, right? I came here to ask what do you believe, and you all believe different things. You're all yelling and screaming at each other. Right? You're mad at this, and you're mad at this, and you're saying it needs to be done this way, and he's saying it doesn't be that way. One person saying, oh, don't listen to him, he's crazy, or he doesn't get it, or he's new here. And another person saying, no, trust me, I know. Right? This is chaos. Right? Be content with the aim of things and with the system. Otherwise, we will lose sight of our common goal, because we're arguing about, other, about our tools instead of about what the tools are for. If you believe that all gifts are for the whole, like all of us, and for the glory of God, you will have the same joy about others' gifts that you have about your own. You will be excited that somebody is good at something, not upset, not jealous, right? You'll be happy that somebody is better than you at something because God gave them that gift for everybody, just like He gave you your gift for everybody. If you're content with what you have, you will have peace and happiness that other people have these gifts. I remember when I first graduated, I had a staff member who wanted the whole world to know that she was so amazing um, and that the place couldn't function without her. And I was only like one month into working. She continually badmouthed the manager to me. She continued badmouthed me to the manager, <laughs> both of us to other staff, um, and she made everybody miserable. Um, but to be honest, she was amazing at her job. She was really good. She really was um, an amazing um, worker. She got herself fired, right? Like the way that, that she conducted herself. Contrast this to later on, a few years later, I had a technician who was easily the best technician I ever worked with in my life. She was incredible, right? But she was, she knew what she was strong at, and she knew what she was weak at, and she was content with that. She wasn't trying to pretend she was amazing at things that she wasn't. And she not only acknowledged others' gifts, but she took a back seat when her areas of weaknesses came and would exalt others and say, this is something I'm not good at, but you know who is good at it? That person over there is really good at this. And she would bring them and put them in that position of prestige and put them in that position of honor instead of trying to play down that she didn't know it well um, at the expense of others. She would exalt them. So then people didn't feel threatened by her, right? They weren't worried about looking badly when she was around and worried about their jobs. In fact, they loved her, right? They used their gifts for efficiency rather than for conflict, even in the secular environment, right? We can learn when people have these virtues. We need to be content with the gifts that we have. We need to be content to listen. St. James warns about the tongue is a fire. And he talks about all the different things that people use their tongues for. For cursing, for lying, for gossiping. Um, he said it's full of deadly poison. And he says that all the other animals are tamed with their tongue, <laughs> except for humans, right? Is that we are completely unbridled. And now 
not just arguing, right, but the sins of the tongue in general. We curse, we gossip, we lie, we argue. We, give, we use our gifts for wrong rather than listening for truth. Right? Today's practice response, it surprised me when you pay attention to the wording. It says that they brought a professional speaker, okay, a, re a rhetorician named Tertullus to accuse St. Paul with great verbiage. Um, and he did speak very well. Like when you listen to the speech that was read, I'm like, that was very well said, right? He very eloquently talked about how Paul's a horrible person and how he's ruining the whole nation. And he managed to say it so compellingly, right? That I'm like, he's right. If what he's saying is right, <laughs> then Paul's a horrible person, right? He was using um, the gift for the wrong reason. He wasn't interested in listening to Paul. Right? So he, he constructed a beautiful speech, which he was very good at, and had no idea what Paul was talking about. Right? They hired him, like, we need someone to save this. Right? He didn't know whether it was true, he didn't know what was the point, he didn't know the message. He said, sure, I can say that, how much will you pay me? Um, and not only was he wrong, faith-wise, um, but he lost his cause. The judge sided with Paul. Um, Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, Paul had already appealed to Caesar um, and was sent to Rome. But the governor that they, they campaigned to actually took Paul aside saying, are you sure you want to do this? Because I agree with you. I don't have any problem with you. Right? Is that we have to use our gifts in the right way and we have to use our gifts while seeking um, the truth. So be content not to speak at every occasion. You don't have to have a comment about everything, because likely you will say or do something wrong, right? Be content to be, to be asked to speak first rather than to comment, rather than to be the first to volunteer. Be content to refrain from slandering someone even when others are slandering, right? Even if somebody else is talking about how horrible someone else is, don't join in. Be content with your relationship with a person rather than ruining the person's relationship with others, right? When you add on, oh, oh, okay, man, and he also said this and did this, right? Now you're ruining someone's relationship with that person, right? You're making them view somebody in another way. Maybe they didn't have that view before. Be content to use the tongue the way that it was designed, rather than for more, for blessing people, for being kind to people, for praying for people, for comforting people, for consoling people, for instructing at the right time, right? For asking questions, use the tongue the way it was made. The crowds weren't talking over Jesus as he spoke to them, right? They were listening to him, right? They didn't say, oh, that's a good point. Let me tell you why you're right and add their own like sermon on the side, right? Or what you're saying is completely crazy. If I, you want me to turn the other cheek, they'll do this to me. They listened. Right? They sat and they listened. So I'll end with what Paul's instruction was of, so then what do we, what do we do? He summarizes the instruction for us, and I'll just read it verbatim. But you, people of God, flee these things. Okay? Leave those things that we just talked about. Instead, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Hang on to the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good profession of faith in the sight of many witnesses. Before God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed before Pontius Pilate the good confession, 
I charge you to keep the commandment undefiled and blameless until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in due time will reveal. To him who is the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, alone possessing immortality and dwelling in approachable life, whom no one has seen nor can see, to him be honor and eternal power to the age of ages and glory be to our God forever and ever. Amen.